Thank you, uh, thank you, worship team, for uh, leading us so well this morning. There's not a, a better song to, to, uh, to, to sing bef- before you preach. That's a, that's a good one right there. So, thank you, guys. Uh, if you're a guest, we, we, we're glad that you're here. Thank you for being with us. We are in the Gospel of Luke. So, if you have your Bibles, please turn to, uh, to the Gospel of Luke as we continue our journey through uh, this, uh, this awesome book. Have y'all... Have you all enjoyed our time through Luke so far? Hopefully, uh, the Lord is working in your heart uh, as He's as He's working in mine as well. And so I know I know the past few weeks have probably I I don't know maybe maybe they haven't felt as heavy to you as they have to me. Uh, but I, I felt like they've like when you get into the Sermon on the Mount, it's it's heavy. It's like ah, oh, I just I, I need I need a break. And uh, today today. Uh, Today won't be much different, but um, <laughs> that's just how it is. It's, uh, it's actually a, uh, a continuation of my sermon from last week. If, you, if you're following along in the notes, uh, you, probably, you probably noticed that uh, there were three points, and I only got to one point. Brevity is not my strong suit. And so, um, so we're going to—it's just part two of last week. I know as we finished, we— we, we talked about judgment last week. We talked about judgmentalism. We talked about forgiveness. We talked about um, mercy and, and, and generosity and things of that nature. And, and, and we talked about that, that Jesus in this, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's really condemning a, a, a sort of self-righteous judgment. He's, he's, he's condemning self-righteous judgmentalism. And then when we got when we got to Wednesday night, uh, you know, we, we, some of the some of the comments were like, "Yeah, but but there is a time where we do deal with sin. There is a time where we do call it out. There is a time that we that we do as a body talk about these things and exhort one another, encourage one another." So we're going to talk about that this morning, a little bit. That's kind of kind of kind of where we're, where we're headed, and so. So if you've got your Bible, hopefully you're, you're in, in Luke chapter 6. My, my main point is the same point as last week. It's just, again, continuation, uh, sermon part 2. Uh, Christians are called to a glorious life of mercy, forgiveness, and repentance. Christians are called to a glorious life of mercy, forgiveness, and, and repentance. And my first point last week was this, that, that, that we're called to check our standard. Check our standard. And, as, and if we remember there in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, The measure you use, the measure you use for, uh, for judgment, for condemnation, for forgiveness, and for, and for being generous and generosity, the, that, that standard that you use is the standard that will be given back to you. And, and what we talked about, this isn't, this is, this isn't a standard of, of causation, but correlation. You understand what I mean that, by that? that? That it's not like if I forgive enough, if I don't judge the wrong way, if I'm generous, and if I don't condemn, then the result will be Christ giving me mercy and grace and forgiveness and being generous with me. It's not, it's not necessarily a causation, but it, it, there is a correlation. It, it is those who have been forgiven by Christ, those who have received his grace, who have received his mercy, who have received his generosity, the good Father who gives out of his good loving kindness character, who, who hasn't condemned us, those who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone will definitely demonstrate mercy and forgiveness and generosity and won't condemn others. That's not their job. Amen? There's a correlation. There's not a causation. And so, so we must check our standard there. And so I won't rehash the sermon, but that, that's, that was the point we got to uh, last week. Now, Remember, though, Christ is condemning a sort of self-righteous, hypocritical judgment. He doesn't throw out all types of judgment. He doesn't throw out discernment. He doesn't throw out accountability or these things. He's throwing out self-righteous, hypocritical judgment. That does not honor the Lord. Now, what's interesting, you, you think about this. You know, you, you, uh, you ask a, a, a non-Christian, you know, why they don't go to church often. 
Maybe, maybe you go, you go on, on, online and, and you read some story that like WSB posts about the church. and send, Every time you go to the comment section, you're going to see some person, they said they left the church. And what's the number one reason? What's the number one reason people say they leave the church? Hypocrisy. They are so judgmental. They are so, they're just hypocrites. I just can't stand being around such people who are so judgmental. There's irony in these statements, I know. (laughs) Judgmental people tend to hate other judgmental people. But what we've often done in in, in the church is with this issue of hypocrisy is, is, is we've, if we're not careful, we sort of come to embrace it. We embrace hypocrisy. We just kind of automatically accept that we're hypocrites and that's okay. Like when I, I know I'm a sinner, I, I'm a sinner, so I, I'm, I'm a hypocrite. And we seem to try to live in this space where we think that that's okay. Just an acknowledgement of our hypocrisy is good, and we move on. And Christ here on the Sermon on the Mount isn't leaving room for that. Are we called to a life of holy hypocrisy, church? Is that what we're called to? Is that who we are in Christ? Is that walking in obedience? Just a bunch of holy hypocrites. I would say no. Now we are far from perfect. We do sin. But it, not, it should not be okay with us to live in this space, this little gray space of, of hypocrisy. Jesus addresses that this morning. So hopefully you've made your way to Luke, 20, Luke, Luke, Luke chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 37, even though I preached that last week. I'm not going to preach it again, don't worry. But we're gonna, I'm going to read it just for context. Luke 6, 37 through 42. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. May God bless the reading of his word. Last week we got through point one, check your standard. As we think about living this glorious life of mercy and forgiveness and and repentance, there's a call to check our standard. I believe also here there's there's, there's a call to check our guide. Check your guide. Point two, check your guide. And in this, Jesus, he, he starts, he's, as he continues this, this condemnation of, of self-righteous judgment and, and, and hypocritical condemnation and, and, and self-righteous unforgiveness and, and a lack of generosity, as he's condemning that, he tells them a parable. He, he says, he asks a question. And Jesus often, he's a, he's a great storyteller. He, often, he always asks the right questions that penetrate the heart. The model teacher, he's, of course, he's sovereign, the second person of the Trinity, the, the Son of God, God in the flesh, dwelling among men, and he, he's wiser than me, wiser than all of us. He always gets to the heart of it, and he says, can a, in telling them the story to get, get to his point, he says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Can a blind man lead a blind man? You know, it's interesting. I always... I, I always feel bad because I, I feel like I always mention Chick-fil-A all the time. 
I know, I mean, I probably, I probably, if you look back at every sermon I've preached for the past several months, I've probably mentioned Chick-fil-A every time, so I'm sorry. I know y'all are getting tired of that, but that's where my life is, guys. At least it's not sports analogies or movie analogies all the time. We've got a little, you know, Chick-fil-A. So we're downtown, we're in the thick of it, we see a lot of people. You know, it is interesting, we, we tend to see quite a few blind people. There's, there's, there's blind people who, who are down there, and, and, and what's, what's, what's natural about blind people is uh, they, they tend to need a lot of help. You're like, well, well duh. I mean, they, they, they often need help within our restaurants. We haven't had our dining rooms open for a while, but, but when we did, we, we'd have quite a few blind people that came in. And specifically, I remember this one blind woman that would tend to come in. And, and, and she, would, she would come in, and, and she, she'd have a stick, and, and, and she would find her way via the stick eventually to our front counter. She would order her food, but then she would need help getting to her table. And then even when kind of when she got to her table, she would, she would need help kind of getting situated at her table, kind of identifying where her food is, opening sauce packets. Things. Like, she, she needed help. She was not sufficient. I mean, most of us, I'm looking around the room, unless I'm missing something, none of us really know what it's like to be blind. And I mean, you can't see. You're in pitch black dark. But I know this, that in such a situation, the last person that you would ever want to go to help you lead you down the road in a busy intersection, to walk through a crowded restaurant, or to drive you from point A to point B is a blind person. And I'm not like shaming anybody here or shaming any kind of disability, but the reality is Jesus says like, it's kind of crazy to think about that. You're not going to go pick a blind person, if you're blind, you're not going to go look for another blind person to help lead you down the road. What's going to happen is ultimately, if this is your guide, you're going to both fall into a pit. You're going to fall into trouble. You're going to fall into judgment, is, is kind of the idea that, that Jesus gets at here. And the bigger point that he's making here in the context of self-righteous judgmentalism and self-righteous unforgiveness, and self-righteous condemnation, is that when we judge others, when we judge others in a self-righteous, hypocritical manner, we are demonstrating a sort of blindness. A blindness to our own sin. A blindness to our own corruption. A, a, a we're, we're in, in that moment, we're, we're not walking according to the Spirit. We're not walking in a way that honors Christ. We're, we're not walking in a way that brings Him glory. We're walking in disobedience. We're walking in darkness. We're walking in sin. We're walking in pride. And, and, and what we're, it's like another individual, and we're we're, we're looking at our brother who very well might be in sin. They very well might be in sin. We, we, we look at our brother and, and they're sinning. And it could be sins of all sorts of shapes and sizes. And we look at them and we're frustrated and we're angry at them. And, and we really judge them harshly, critically condemn them, we question their salvation, and, and, we, and, and we do all of, the, all of these other things, but, but we're doing so from a place of ignoring our own sin. We've got hidden sin. We've got unrepentant sin. We're concerned about their sin, but we're not concerned about our sin. We're looking at their faults, but we think very little of our fault. We've always got an excuse for our faults. We've got an excuse for our sin. We don't repent. We don't confess. We don't seek reconciliation. We don't seek forgiveness. We don't give forgiveness. But over here, we look at this individual and we judge them harshly. That's what Jesus is condemning here. And he's saying, when you're doing that, you're right. This, this man over here, this sinner, he is blind. Walking in unrepentant sin, he is blind. But here's the problem. Here's what you don't recognize, brother. So are you. So are you. 
You standing here and your self-righteous judgment and your self-righteous condemnation, you are walking in darkness as well. You're not walking in obedience, and he as and he's walking in this. You're both walking in disobedience, and you and your your effort to help him, you and your effort to try and call out his sin. You know what it's going to be like? Another blind man leading a blind man, to which you're both going to fall into a pit. As we think about this, this this idea of self righteous judgment and self righteous. Um, condemnation, we, we need to realize that when we do that, when we judge in a hypocritical manner and we condemn and when we don't forgive and when we're not generous with others and, and we just treat them with contempt out of our own position of self-righteousness, it has consequences. It does. Like the way that we deal with the sin of others, it has consequences for that person and for us. They both fall into a pit. And what we, re- we got to realize here, from this position of self-righteousness and self-dependence and arrogance and pride, we actually cannot lead this person well. We can't. We're, 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 in that moment, we're really of no use to that individual who's in sin. We're not. Now, again, we, we might think that we're helping them. We might think that we're doing a good deed. And we might even have a right assessment of their sin and of their situation and of their lifestyle. And we could point to book, chapter, verse and say that is wrong. However, the heart behind how we handle such a situation is very important. And it reveals a lot about our theology. I'll say that again. The heart behind how we handle such a situation is very important, and it actually reveals a lot about our theology. I said it last week. Our theology has ramifications. It has, it has an outpouring. It has action. It has uh, it has application. What we believe will come out. Our theology always leads to doxology, all the time. Everyone is living out their theology. All of you, all of us. We all are, are, are living out our beliefs naturally. All of us. And so, when we are judging someone and trying to deal with their sin, but we're coming, we're, we're, we're doing so in a way that is self-righteous and, and hypocritical and self-dependent and self-focused and, and looks down on the, someone else more than you. you're looking down on yourself and your own guilt and you're living with, with no repentance and no fear of the Lord. You're going to deal with that person's sin in a way that is sinful. You're not going to point them to the gospel. You're, gonna, you're, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're not going to point them to what they actually need. You're not going to point them to Christ. You're going to compare them to you. You're going to act as if you're the situation. Or, I mean, sorry, you're the solution, not Christ. Your rules are the solution, not Christ. Your identity and your life choices are the solution, not Christ. And these, and these moments of dealing with with sin and judgment and, and forgiveness, we got to ask a few questions. Are we concerned in that moment where we start to feel a little bit uneasy about someone's sin? Or we start to judge, judge their sin? Someone sins against us, perhaps? Or someone's just living a type of lifestyle that's different than us? We have to ask two questions. One, are we concerned about an individual that isn't like us? I'm concerned about them. I'm concerned about them because they're not like me. Or are we concerned for an individual that isn't like Christ? Do you see the difference? Concerned about an individual, or are we concerned for an individual because they're not like Christ? One is a focus of us. The other is a focus of desiring for them to be conformed to Christ and His will. 
and obedience. There's a difference. Is, is, is the goal to make them like you? Is it? Is, is that the goal? That you would be like you? That would be like me? We want this family to be like our family because our family is the best. I want this individual to be like me because I'm the best. I want him to dress like me, talk like me, think like me, do like all this stuff. A lot of times when we're judging somebody self-righteously, that's what it comes down to if we're honest. We think much of ourselves, much of our decisions, much of our wisdom, much of our income, much of our life choices, and we want people to be like us because our way is the best. And then we look at this person and say, well, they're not like me, so they're inferior. Dear friend, we've all been in those places, but let's be honest. Our desire in that moment is not for them to be Christ-like. Our desire is for them to be like us, to glorify us. Because we need more people in the world that look like who? Us. Is the goal to make them more like you? That type of attitude can lead to the type of blind, leading the blind leadership that Christ is talking about here. You want to be like you, dear friend? You've got a sort of blindness, a scale over your eyes of sorts. The goal is not for them to be more like you. And the goal is not for them to be more like me. Amen to that. But when, but when the goal is to make them look more like you, you might, the way that you handle their sin, the way you call it out, the, the, the way that you deal with it, the way you approach it, the way, the, the way that you judge, the way that you condemn, the way that you forgive or don't forgive, or the way that you're generous or not generous and you kind of manipulate your stuff, the way that you handle it, from that position of self-righteousness. If you're not careful, it can lead to self-righteousness on the part of the individual that you're trying to help. You're looking over here, and, and you're hand, you know, because again, your theology here is, is self-righteousness, and, and so ultimately the way that you're going to handle it here could lead this person to a life of self-righteousness. Well, my, you know, my, 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 my solution is just to to think more of myself and to pick myself up by, by my, my bootstraps and to be different than this guy down the road because, because that's what my hero over here is doing. This is what my teacher over here is doing. I need to be more like them because and my teacher and the one is approaching me and calling, you know, calling out my sin from a position of self-righteousness and judgment and hypocrisy. I just need to be more like that. We're not careful. We're not helping. Only leading them further into the pit. If... if if our goal is to make them more like us, we might lead them to legalism. I just need to follow all these man-made rules. And if I just follow all these man-made rules, then, then people will like me and people will forgive me and, and people will make me a part of the group and, and therefore I, don't, I won't feel any condemnation. That's blind leading the blind. That's falling into the pit. If our goal is to make them like us, it might just lead them into condemnation. Oh, I could never be like that person. I could never be like that group. I, I can never fit in, because this is just who I am. And so, so they have nothing but condemnation and condemnation and condemnation. They're beat down. That's the blind leading the blind. Romans 8, there's what? In Christ, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's our message there. But your theology here of condemnation, it's going to have implications of the way that you handle it. When you do it from a, a poor theological stance, one of self-exaltation, but you know what it also could result in? A self-righteous, hypocritical judgment. A lack of forgiveness. Just bitterness. It could result in this individual over here looking at your life, looking at my life, and saying, I want nothing to do with that person. Nothing. Because they're not any different than me. Why would I want them? Rejection. Rejection of Christ. But what if our goal is for them to actually to be like Christ and not like us? Take us out of the picture. Take our opinions out of the picture. Take our life choices out of the picture. What if our goal is for them actually, my desire for you, brother, sister, you might hate me. You might despise me. You might talk bad against me. You might have wronged me. You might hate God. But my desire for you, friend, is Christ's likeness. 
My desire for you is to be reconciled to God. What if, what if, what if, that, is, what if, what if that is the goal, which is a biblical goal, Christian, which is the right goal, Christian? If so, if the goal is for them to be more like Christ, then you know what? We seek to show them the grace and forgiveness that Christ offers. You get that? Like our main message, Paul says our, our message is a message of reconciliation. And our ministry is a, is a ministry of reconciliation. And, and as we talked about last week, reconciliation between man and God, but also has implications of between uh, each other as well. But that all comes through what? The cross of Christ. And in the cross of Christ, Christ comes, reconciles us to the Father, not because we earned it, not because we did enough good works and became a good person and and picked ourselves up by our bootstraps and did enough good works in order to earn the favor of God, earn to be reconciled. It's like, it's not that we came and it's like we got tax season coming up. We've got the giant tax penalty and we just earned enough money that we could just come and pay off our debt. No. Our debt was so big, we could never pay it off. Our lifestyle was so sinful that before holy God, we would never make it right. And Romans 3 talked about this, that we would never want to make it right. The ministry of reconciliation is this, that in spite of that, God took the initiative to send Christ to satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf. That's the message. That's the gospel. And that when we trust in Christ and we trust in what he did on the cross for us, our sins are forgiven. We are reconciled to God. Not because of our work, but because of Christ. That's the gospel, folks. That's our our message, folks. And so when we're dealing with sin, that is the message. That is our hope. It's not condemnation. Now certainly those who, those who, don't get me wrong, those who do not repent of their sin and trust in Christ, you will, you stand condemned. You stand condemned, and if you don't repent, and if you don't trust in Christ, you will receive his wrath for eternity, period. That is also the gospel. But the, the gospel is good news, because The reality is you don't need to stand there in your sin. You don't need to stand there condemned. And you don't have to, like, do anything, any good work to to change that. It's just trust in Christ. Cast yourself before the mercy of God and trust in Christ. That's the gospel. If our goal is for this individual to be more like Christ, we're going to lean in to the grace and forgiveness that Christ offers. That will be our message. If our goal is for them to be more like Christ, we seek not just to point out the fear of the Lord, but we seek to point out the joy of walking in obedience. Now, do we point out the fear of the Lord? Yes, the Bible tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Are Christians called to fear the Lord, church? Yes, we should. Oh, but the longer you walk with Christ, you find the what? The joy, the joy of obedience. The joy of obedience. You know, it's often said in the world that like Christian life is we're just we're just a bunch of party poopers and there's no joy, there's no happiness. It's just it's just kind of like, you know, we're just monks who want to just go sit in a corner and we don't have any fun. Oh, dear friends, there's joy. There's joy in obedience. I don't, you know, I don't always just obey God because I'm scared of him. Sometimes I do. But often, the best type of obedience is when we just find the joy of obeying the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. How blessed, how happy is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But he what? He delights in the law of the Lord. So there's just this white-knuckle obedience that I do. I'm just scared. I'm like, roller coaster, and I gotta hang on, or I'm gonna fall off. No, it's like, yo, I'm gonna put my hands up, because this is fun. I'm gonna, I, 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 there's joy in obedience. And when our desire is for them to be like Christ, we're not just gonna focus on this big, scary God up in the sky. We do focus on fear. We do, because Christ did, Paul did, we do. 
but we're also going to point to the joy and freedom of walking in Christ. The joy. If our, if our goal is for them to be like Christ, then you know what? We will learn to walk patiently with others. We're going to be patient. Why? Because Christ has been patient with us. And so this is going to result in, in a bit of long suffering. That we're going to, that, 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 that when we do come to a, from a position of humility to deal with our brother and sister's sin, not, not from a position of pride, not from a position of arrogance or self reliance, but when we do come, we're going to do so patiently. Knowing that, like, the Lord has been patient with us. Knowing that, that such a person may not just change overnight. But the Lord might need to work on their heart. We don't give up on them. We don't just write them off. We don't just say, well, I've said something and I'm done. We are patient. Why? Because Christ is patient with us. Are we concerned about an individual that isn't like us? Or are we concerned for an individual that isn't like Christ? Jesus says this. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher. When the student is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. So he's connecting these two ideas. He's connecting the leader here. Who, who, who you know, you got a blind leading the blind, and, and Jesus here connects it. He says, but, but here's, here's the thing. A disciple's not above his teacher. He kind of steps out of the parable for a moment. He's kind of interpreting it in a sense. The, the parable was a one-sentence parable of a blind leading a blind man, leading them into destruction, into pit, into, into judgment, into sin. But Jesus kind of starts to interpret. Now, his, a disciple's not above his teacher. When the student is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. The way that this individual who's blind, who's being led by another blind man, who's probably, honestly, who's led by another blind man, I, I, I think it... Begs the question for us, church, who is discipling you? Who is discipling you? What is discipling you? What is teaching you? What is influencing you? Who is the primary person or thing that is most shaping your view of yourself and of others. What is it? And the context here, in the context of Luke 6 and, 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 and Matthew's Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew uh, 5, 6, and 7, when, when we look at Matthew, we look here in Luke 6, right before Luke 6, We've got several stories of, of interactions of Jesus battling the Pharisees. Specifically in Matthew's section on the Sermon on the Mount, he notes where Jesus says that your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees, as we've talked about, they were, they were individuals, they were experts in the law, they were, they were very self-righteous and they were very pious of their own their own self-made religion and their own self-made rules. They thought much of themselves and thought little of other people. So that's why as Jesus comes and he dines with tax collectors who were repentant, Levi, a repentant tax collector, they come by and they, they judge and condemn Jesus because who, how, how would the Messiah come by and hang out with such pitiful, wretched people? He should be hanging, if the Messiah came, he would certainly be hanging out with us. Because we're rich, because we've got it together, we've got our own little man-made rules and system of religion that we've kind of made, and so, like we, like, we are who God would be for, not these wretched, wretched people. So I think the context here of disciples, a lot of people were influenced by the Pharisees and the scribes here. They, they, were, they were influenced by such a... a, a Self-made religion, a self-relying religion, a works righteousness religion. 
They were, they were the influential people of that day. They were the influential Jews of that day. They influenced the commoners. They also influenced the priests and the religious systems and things of that nature. And that's the context. But I also think it has an application for, for us here today. We're not, ju- we're like, we don't, we don't have any Pharisees. I don't know any Pharisees. You know any Pharisees? I don't know any Pharisees. Not like actual Pharisees. But who is shaping your view of yourself and of others? What is it? Is it personalities? Is it like Instagram influencers? Is it Fox News? Is it CNN? Is it Facebook? Is it blog posts? What is it? Is it politicians? Politicians telling you the right people to hate and the right people to love? Is it corporations telling you the right people to hate and the right people to love? Is it your, you know, your uncle out in the middle of nowhere who's po- post- posting a bunch of really funny, weird, awkward stuff? And you're just like, this is weird. I, gotta, gotta, you know, I love him, but I'm hitting unfollow because it's too weird. Is it, is it your friends? Is it your friends? Are they, shaping, are they shaping you? Or is it the philosophies of this world? Philosophies of this world. You're like, I, 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 I'm going to celebrate all these self-help books that make much of me. We all love self-help books because you know why? They make much of us. We just, we need everybody to accept us. You know, girl, get out there. You know what you got to do? You got to wash your face. You know, that's what we got to do. I'm going to pick up this Enneagram book because you know what? It's going to tell me all about myself and darn it, people better love me and make much of me. These are my strengths. This is how I view the world and you better like it. Philosophies of, of the world making much of ourselves and telling everybody else just to deal with it because this is who I am. A worship of self. See, if, if, if you're led by the world, and you might be, know this. That the, world is, the, the world is unforgiving. The world is unforgiving. The world is not gracious. I mean, just... Look at what happens right now. Dare to disagree with the world. Dare not to celebrate everything else in our culture and what happens. You get canceled. You might lose your job. You might lose your company. You might lose your, like, your profile on, an, on, on some social media site because you disagree. Unforgiveness. The world is unforgiving. The world is self-righteous. Oh, just, just, just look, at, look at the world and, and how they, they prop up their own virtue signaling. Everything is a virtue signal to them. Everything. And it ain't just one side of the aisle either. Oh, there's virtue signaling everywhere. It's not, it's not, it's not like, hey, you know, Christ is our anthem. It's all these other self-made philosophies, virtue signaling. The world is judgmental. They're self-righteously judgmental. They judge anyone that doesn't celebrate them. You understand that? That's like the, the, this, this, this book, Tom, Tom's read it. I, I've read it. Good one to write down if, if, if you want to read it. It's, this, it's, it's a book by Carl Truman. It came out about four months ago. It's called The Rise and the Triumph of the Modern Self. And this idea of the identity of the modern self is, is this, uh, is that, um, explain it quickly. We are, we are in a time in which we demand to be celebrated. We demand our individuality, not just to be tolerant. See, tolerate, tolerance is the old word. If, if you're a Christian, you're still talking about tolerance. That's old. That's so 2005. That's old. The new word now is celebration. We demand to be celebrated. We don't just demand to be tolerated. We demand to be affirmed. Whatever our view is of ourselves, who we want to be in our decisions, whatever they may be, they must be affirmed. They must be celebrated. And if you don't celebrate every decision or who I am, who I say I am, the world will come down on you and call you names and they'll, and they'll judge you because you don't celebrate them. So they'll use words like, 
uh, racist, bigot, homophobe, what, what, whatever, whatever you want to, whatever you want to say, because that is the message of our world. Oh, friends, <laughs> I feel that the world is a far more judgmental place than the church, and I don't say that lightly. So, is the world and its systems and its philosophies, is, is, is that who is your primary discipler? Is it? You know, you, maybe you remember in school, because that might have been the last time that, that you looked at it. There, there, there's, a, there's a thing called a food pyramid. Have you ever seen the food pyramid? food pyramid there it's like at the bottom it's all the stuff that most of us don't like to eat it's like really green really green there at the bottom okay and then you know and, and it's thick and it's what it's saying there is is in that food pyramid most of your appetite should be i'm sorry McNon, i just i have to I have to go it's like it, it, it's 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 healthy foods most of our diet should be healthy foods and then you kind of, you know, and it kind of gets up to the top. But you know what? There's a little bitty tiny spot there at the top for dessert. But your appetite, most of it, should be feasting on this stuff down here. What, what am I getting at? Am I saying that we just need to taste a little bit of the stuff of the world? No, what I'm saying is this. Most of our time should be feasting on Christ. Most of our time and our energy should be focused on things that are pointing us to Christ Jesus. It should. I'm not giving any caveats. I'm not meaning to guilt you. You're like, oh, so you're saying I can't watch TV? No, I'm not saying you can't. I'm not, yo, I'm leaving a little tiny room there, baby. Watch some TV. Have some social media time. Do it to the glory of God. Enjoy it. Post some pictures of your kids. Comment on, on, on threads. Do it. Have fun. Go see a good movie. You know what I love? I love The Mandalorian. I love it, baby. Oh, I, I love Marvel stuff. I love movies. Go watch them. I, I, I'm all for it. You know, every now and then, maybe we just have a movie night. Okay? But here's the reality. All of our time and efforts and energy, Christian, shouldn't be put, like that, that, that bottom part of our appetite, what we're consuming and what we're thinking about, what's shaping us, it shouldn't be like worldly philosophies, Hollywood, because that's mostly what these movies are filled with, honestly. Most of what these television shows are filled with, most of what social media is filled with, worldly philosophy, it shouldn't just be, I'm going to consume, 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 in a little bit of tiny spot, my little bitty hour and a half on Sunday, uh, that, that's, that's where I'm going to get the nutrients, where I'm going to fix my gaze and my heart on Christ. I've been doing CrossFit for two and a half years now. And I do it often. But you know what? And we work hard. Brandon, we work hard, don't we? But you know what you see here, friends? I'm going to turn this way, camera, so you can see too. You still see, don't zoom in too much, Aaron. <laughs> you still see a belly. You know why? Because the most important thing to being healthy, and to being in shape and all that, is actually what you consume. I can't just kind of like work off a bad appetite. And anybody will tell you that. I don't care how awesome our Sunday morning is here, and I don't care how awesome our Wednesday nights are for those little hour and a half periods. If like the rest of your week is just consuming Hollywood and consuming the philosophies of this world, it's not healthy, friends. And it will impact your life. And Jesus says this. Jesus says this. When the student is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. He will. 
So expect this. If you are being trained and shaped by everything but Christ, you will be like the world. So pull it back a bit. You will judge like the world. You will live like the world. You will forgive like the world. You will condemn like the world. From a self-righteous place, from a self-righteous posture, from a posture of pride and self-reliance, not from a place of mercy and forgiveness and grace. And our guide, our teacher, must be Christ. Christ and Christ alone as presented in the scriptures. As presented in the scriptures. Not some crazy out there cuckoo book where, you know, somebody says, I have these visions of Jesus and he's, he's telling me stuff each day and you got to read it. He's calling me. I just want you to know what he's... No, Christ as presented in the scriptures. We, we open the word of God and we feast. We feast. We see Christ. Brandon, Brandon mentioned this morning, by God's providence, he, he mentioned Romans 12, and I got it here in my notes. I don't have time to get deep into it, but you can look at it this week. That we're called to be transformed to the image of Christ, to Christ's likeness, we're, we're sanctified. How? By the renewing of our minds. By the renewing of our minds. And so, what does that look like? It means, it means we, we open up the Word of God, we gaze upon Christ. We gaze upon His goodness. We gaze upon His grace. We gaze upon His holiness. We gaze upon His life. We gaze upon his preaching. We gaze upon his sovereignty. And you know what that does as we do that? It makes much of God and little of you. Much of God's sovereignty and little of your little man-made wisdom. Much of God's eternal plan of redemption and, and little of your little world here and your tiny little life decisions. And it shapes us. And it molds us. And as we gaze upon Christ, we desire Christ. And as we desire Christ, we desire to be like Christ. And the Holy Spirit, he changes and, he, and we bear fruit and we, and, and we start to love our neighbor and we're more gentle and we're kind and we're compassionate. Not through efforts of our own, by the power of the Spirit. It produces a humility. And you know what? As you get there into, into Romans 12, as we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, then all of a sudden Paul starts to get into these applications of how it works out among the body of Christ. The, the, the unity and diversity of, of, of the church and our, our love for one another and our forgiveness and our compassion and all these other things. But you know where it starts up there? Being renewed by our minds. Feast on Scripture, friends. Feast. Check your guide. Check your guide. Third, check your vision. Check your vision. Jesus says, ask another good question, doesn't he? He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you... you Say to your brother, brother, let me take, take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. There's almost this comedic aspect to the irony here. Jesus is like, hold up for a second, guys. You know, if, if you're the type of person, again, over here, if you're the type of person who's judging in a self-righteous manner, and you're condemning in a place of from a place of pride, and you're living in unforgiveness, and and like you only love people that 
love you and make much of you and you think much of your own obedience and your own self. Again, a place of sin, a place of darkness, a place of blindness. And you have the audacity, the audacity to come over here and address the fact that your brother's got a little cussing problem. I'm going to tell you what you're like. You're like a dude who's got this giant branch just like lodged in his eye. All right? I want to get a picture here. This lodge, it's not just like, you know, it's like literally, now imagine like a branch and it goes through somebody's eye. And that moment where the branch is just lodged in somebody's eye, like, you, you know, it's like, it's bruised, it's bloody, it's nasty, but it's there. And it's piercing. It's just like, right there. Imagine the audacity as someone's hemorrhaging from their eye that he comes over here to a, to a dude who's looking in a a window maybe trying to get a little speck of sawdust out of his eye before this guy's been to the emergency room, before this guy's had surgery to deal with this little speck. Hey, brother, can I help you real quick? Imagine the audacity. This person would turn around and they'd think, whoa, whoa, you're in no place to help me. You need to go to the hospital. You're crazy. Jesus gives us that picture here. But friends, we often do the same, don't we? We often do. We often judge people and condemn people that way. Jesus questions why one can so clearly notice someone else's sin, but they don't notice or care about the same glaring sin in their own heart. That's not what Christ has called us to as Christians. He hasn't. How can we be so concerned with making sure someone else's sin is dealt with when we have far greater unrepentant sin in our own life? Jesus gives us that question. And Jesus says, you hypocrites, you pretender, you actor, pretending to be something that you're not. Jesus doesn't say it's okay. Jesus doesn't just say, well, you guys are, you know, this is just, I, 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 know, I know like you're saved and I know who you are in Christ, but, but it's okay. It's okay for you to be a hypocrite. You're a holy hypocrite. It doesn't allow that for that position. Holy hypocrite is not our identity. Holy hypocrite's not what we're called to. We shouldn't be okay with that. We shouldn't laugh about it. Jesus doesn't laugh about it. But Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Repent. That's you this morning. Repent. Just repent. Look to Christ. Gaze upon his word. Gaze upon his grace. Look at Christ on the cross. Look at what he did to pay the penalty for your sin. For your sin. For your personal sin. Look at it. Gaze upon our gracious Savior. See the mercy and the forgiveness that he offers and repent. And don't walk in condemnation. Walk in freedom. Freedom. And then he says this. Then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Then. Jesus goes through all this whole long sermon to say this. Repent first, then you're useful. Repent first, then you're useful to your brother. 
Because once, once you repent and once you can see clearly, and, and then you can take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. But here's what's implied. That you do deal with speck in your brother's eye. We don't ignore the speck that's in our brother's eye. We just don't make more of the speck that's in our brother's eye than the log that is in ours. Nor do we make more of the speck that's in our brother's eye than the speck that's in our eye. So quickly, as, as, as we finish here, because this is important, we do care about our brother's sin. Amen. We do care about each other's sanctification. We do. We're called to. All throughout God's word, we're called to care about one another's sanctification. But you know what? We're not called to, nor are we allowed to, do so in a self-righteous way. We don't. That is not God-honoring. We can be pointed with someone. We can come and address them, and we're called to do that. But we should do so with fear and trembling. We should never enjoy going and approaching someone about their sin. We shouldn't find our identity in that, like, oh, oh you know, I, 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 I'm going to go, and that's me, and I'm excited about that. Let's go get him. No, we're not gathering the troops to go get somebody. Galatians 6 gives us a, a good, good framework for how to deal with our brother's sin. Galatians 6, 1. You can write this in your notes. You can look at it if you want, but I'll read it. He, he's, Paul says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. How do we deal with sin? From our brothers? When we notice it? Well, first of all, what do we notice thing here in Galatians 6? We notice this. We, we notice, brothers, if anyone is caught, caught, it's the idea of there's something in public that's been revealed. We're not going around being like the morality police, you know, doing all, like sin has been revealed. Someone has been caught in sin. It's been revealed. We're not going around searching for it. We're not going around trying to like, you know, get everybody else's business and open everybody's closet. We're going and something's been revealed to us. If someone's caught in any transgression. They're caught in what? In sin. Not violating your man-made rules. Not violating your, you know, your norms. Not, not just changing something that you do with your life. But they're caught in sin in a transgression. You who are spiritual, notice that, you are spiritual. You who have repented of your sin, you who are walking in the light, you who are being led by the Spirit, you who are not coming at this from a, self, a position of self-righteousness and pride. In other words, before you deal with it, check your heart. Check your heart first. Check your heart And then what? Restore them. The goal is restoration. That's the goal. The goal is not to beat them down. The goal is not condemnation. The goal is restoration. Refreshment. Repentance. Not for you to prove how much you can lay it on them. Not to make an example of them. You know, I'm going to make an example out of this set. No, this never happens again. No. The goal is restoration. And how? Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, as somebody who is rather blunt, this is one that I've got to, like, take to heart. I've got to do that. I've I, I, I got to take this to heart that we restore our brother in a spirit of gentleness. But you know what? When your brother or sister has sinned against you and they've hurt you and they've made you angry, 
They've said stuff about you. They've wronged you. Galatians 6.1. When you're feeling angry, when you're feeling wronged, restore that brother or sister in a spirit of gentleness. But listen, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. We know at the same time that when we do this, we know that we could fall into the same trap. When we do this, we know many of us have already fallen into the same trap in the past, the same transgression. So again, we, we approach such situations with fear and trembling. We remove the speck very delicately. Very, very delicately. Even 2 Timothy 2, as Paul's writing to Timothy, and he's talking about the Lord's servant, and he says that when, when, when the Lord's servant deals with with people who sin against them, that he corrects his opponents with what? With gentleness. Not all, now, you know, we, we could talk about the subject for a long time, and maybe we can talk about it more on Wednesday night or in your small groups. Yes, there are times, even Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, he, where he's addressing the, the church at Corinth, and they're in deep sin, and, and like, you know, a lot of stuff going on, and Paul says, I'm coming to you. And he asks, shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? There is a time for the rod. There is a time for the rod. Jesus, even as he deals with the Pharisees, Jesus is going to speak very, very, very plainly to them and very passionately to them. And there's going to be times where he calls them names. But you know what? Those are rare. Those are rare. We don't always just kick it into sixth gear every single time there's sin in the body of Christ. Our main strategy, our main strategy is gentleness. Gentleness and humility. Gentleness. So how has this played out in the life of CBC? We should be, first and foremost, each and every one of us, First and foremost, concerned about our own individual pursuit of holiness and sanctification. Our own individual pursuit of holiness and sanctification. You. Husbands, you. Not just your family, not just your wife, but you. Not absent of your family, not absent of your wife, but you. But this isn't done in isolation. Your holiness and your sanctification is not done in isolation. Show me someone who lives in isolation. Also, I'll show you someone who doesn't care a rip about their holiness or sanctification. So, we should be a people who are passionate also about the collective pursuit of holiness and sanctification. Knowing that the Lord uses each and every one of us to build one another up in Christ, to reveal Christ, to exhort one another, to, to correct one another, to rebuke one another when necessary. So, we should be a people who are all about reconciliation, forgiveness. We should be a people who are not overly offended when a brother comes to us and wants to discuss maybe something that happened. We were sinned against. Maybe we said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing. We should not be overly offended by that. We should be a people who are quick to confess. Not just to God, but to one another. You know, that was wrong because you know what? I am a sinner. I'm not surprised that I said that or I did that. And we should be a people who are quick to forgive. We should be a, be a people who are quick to gather and quick to pray for one another, and quick to encourage one another, and quick to open up God's word and to gaze upon Christ together. Quick to do that. Knowing that the Lord works through such ways. And, and, and by God's grace, as he works through these means, 
together collectively? May we be a people who are not a bunch of self-righteous hacks. May we not be a people that, that, that sit around on our high horse thinking that, we, that, that like we're the city on the hill, that we're, we're, we're the, you know, it's us. And we, did, we, we built this city on the hill. It's us. It's all us. And, and we're, the, we're the model church that every single other church should look at because we're the perfect ones. And you know what? Everybody who leaves, they're not the perfect ones because it's us, man. It's all us. May we be a people who gaze upon Christ and understand that we've received mercy. We have no place to boast in of ourselves. There's no boasting in us when we gaze upon Christ. May we be a people who are gracious and merciful and forgiving because we serve a God who has saved us. We serve a God who's merciful, who's gracious and forgiving. May we live out that theology that we say we believe, church. Amen.